Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to Church in the Valley. We're really glad that you're all here to uh, worship with us. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the campus pastor here. And we are in the middle of a series called Dangerous Prayers. And we are looking at uh, what the scripture says about how to communicate with God. And then if you choose to, to pray in this way, how you can align yourself with him and his purposes to actually see him really do something uh, w- within you. And so here at Church in the Valley, we, we believe according to the scriptures and according to our own experience that God is somebody who can be known. Uh, he's somebody who we can hear from through the scriptures. He's somebody who we can talk to through prayer. And it's a relationship that actually happens with the free will uh, that he's given us. And so some of you are here today and you have prayed to God and maybe you pray regularly. There's others of you who are still trying to figure out how real God is. And is he someone who can be known? And how does that impact your own life? And so wherever you are, we hope that this series gives you a sense of where prayer fits in and maybe fills in some questions that you have or some holes in, in your own life. And the goal is to kind of show you certain prayers that, that you can prayer, pray under this main idea. How, how can we pray in a way that really ignites God's power in our life? And, and that's really kind of the central idea of, of this whole series. And that's how to kind of pray in a way that's going to ignite the power of God in my life and in your life. And we kicked off the series last week talking about the prayer of search me. If we were to pray to God to search us, what happens uh, when we pray that? And and what does God do? And and how does that uh, help us? Today, uh, we're going to look at a different prayer. And that's the prayer of break me. Now, as I entered the series, there's a sense in which that seems like a dangerous prayer because God, if according to the scriptures, if it's true, he is all powerful and he could do whatever he wants. And so if you actually prayed for God to break you, he could crush you at, at any moment. We're not actually talking about God destroy me because actually out of his love, he, he, he won't, won't do that. But there are some things that he does want to break us of. And today we're going to talk about what are the things in us that actually prevent his power from working within us. Now, God, because he is all powerful and he can do whatever he wants, his power is is never lesser or more. It, It is always the same and he's all powerful. However, because of our free will and the choice that we have, whether to relate to him, to obey him, to follow him. That, that power can be displayed in our life or not. And so our sense is, how do we pray and communicate with God in a way that, that we really can see him working within us because of the choices and the way that we follow him? And so I want to kind of start talking about a, a problem all of us have. And this is the, the problem of a hard heart. And if you've been around and you've seen movies, you, you, you sometimes hear a heart described as she or he had a heart of stone. You guys heard that before? They had a heart of stone. And it's to signify this kind of unpenetrable, just thing that somebody has in their, their core, which prevents them from loving somebody else or hearing from somebody else. Now we don't usually wake up and pray to God, God, break me of my heart of stone. But there are some things in our heart that we do need God to, to break us of. And these are the things that really prevent us from being able to hear him prevent us from being able to relate to people uh, in the way that that pleases him. And for all of us, we're, we're born with kind of the same heart. And 
It's a sad heart. And the sad is like an acrostic. The S is selfishness. We're actually all born with a hard heart because of selfishness. That is, we want what we want. There, there's certain goals that we have in life. There's certain priorities that we have. And if given the choice, usually we want our way over somebody else's way, right? Aren't we born with that? There's just a deep sense of like, I want what I want. The A in the sad acrostic is arrogance. Not only do we have this selfish desire to get what we want, but we actually tend to think that our way is the best way. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you think in a general rule, your ideas are usually the best, right? Well, of course, they're my ideas. But we have a tend, you know, approach to life where arrogance creeps in, where we see somebody does something a certain way. And inside of ourselves, even if we don't say it outwardly, we think, I would have done that different. You ever had that thought? Maybe a boss or a coworker? I would have done that different. Man, they missed that. Family life, with our spouses, with roommates, there's a sense in which we have a sense that we know the best way. And somebody doesn't. And a lot of times, this is, this is arrogance. And then the, the D in the sad heart is, is damage. We, we actually, there's something in us where if our goals are blocked and we don't get what we want and somebody does not adopt our way, even though it's the best way, if somebody crosses us or they put themselves in front of us, we tend to get really chapped about that. And we say things like, you, you don't want to keep doing that. If you, if you can do that, you better watch out. This idea of if you provoke me, I'm going to hurt you. You may never say that, but inside all of us have this, this sense that, that we, we will kind of come against somebody who comes against us. So I don't, I don't want to hurt you, but if you cross me, if you block me, if you hurt me, I watch out. Now, all of us have this within us, selfishness, arrogance, and damaging. So we're glad you guys are here. Let's pray and let's go about our day, right? That's the most depressing opener ever. But, that, but that's not it. But, but that's the reality of, of our story is that we, we have a problem. And, and the selfishness and the arrogance and the damage comes from sin. And we're all born into sin. And we all struggle with sin. And that's our independence from God. It's this path that we all go on to do life our own way. So to pray to God, break me, what we're asking is God to remove us from these drives and this will from sin. To help us battle the selfishness and arrogance and damage that that we all deal with. And so that's what we're asking God to, to break us of. Break us of this dependence on ourselves. And when you do that, when you ask God to actually break you from your self-dependence, your self-reliance, you can actually see God work in ways that you will not see if you're just trying to do life on your own. And this is true for the Christian that believes all this but still does things their own way. And this is true for those who have never even decided to follow Jesus. If you actually decide to yield to Jesus, to surrender to him, he will give you the resources you need to battle your selfishness, to battle your arrogance, and to battle that need to kind of hurt people as they come against you. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, this, this idea of asking God to prevent us from this sad heart. Now, all of us can be justified in some of our strategies. 
Maybe you've been burned by people and you, you have a hard heart because people have actually done things to you that have caused deep pain in your life. And there's a sense in which just praying, God, break me doesn't remove the pain. But when you ask God to break you, even from your strategies of, of inter or independence from him, he, he will help you with that over time. And maybe just because of things that you've witnessed in your life and you've seen, even within the church, that you, you might be cynical. Like, I, I don't really know if this God thing can be true. I don't know if people who are Christians are, are really what they say they are. And so that can lead to a hard heart as well. So there's many things in our life that, that goes on, some of which has done to us, some of the things that we've done, that's caused this kind of hardness of heart. So what I'd like you to do for just the time this morning is... There's a sense in which all of us, we want to justify our strategies. The reason I do this is because this person did this to me. The reason I do this is because I'm afraid if I don't do this, this is what will happen. What what I want you to do is, is I want you to just this morning, ask God to show you some of the things that you're, that you're doing that may be causing some of this hardness. And I'm going to kind of unfold some, some ways that you can do that later in the service. But I want to kind of illustrate this, this question of why, why brokenness? Why, why would I want to pray that? I want to illustrate this with, with two examples in the New Testament. And these are actually examples that are found in a very similar time period in, in Jesus' life. It kind of is taking place in the last week of his life. In the New Testament, uh, the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of Mark, in the other gospels as well, you, you see many stories and accounts and eyewitness testimony of the things that were happening in Jesus' life. And so when you read the first four books of the New Testament, you learn a lot about Jesus and his ministry. You learn a lot about why he came to earth, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he rose again. And so you, you kind of, we get this eyewitness account of the events that happened and now we, we look back. But as you, you read this, some of these things that people are writing have just happened. And so this is, this is fresh. And so I want to share these, these stories that illustrate this need to live a life where you, you ask God to, to break you of self-dependence. So the first story is, is found in Mark uh, 14. And I'm going to read the scripture and then kind of provide some context of, of what's happening. This is in verse So while he, so that's talking about Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So first off, you see the word Bethany there. This is the the place in which he was, this Jesus hangout. And so many things have actually happened in Bethany by this time. The first off, if you're me... I read he was at somebody's house. And what was the name of the person's house he was at? Simon the leper. Okay, if that's on the doorframe of the house, I don't want to be reclining. I want to be running, right? So, so first off, when you read this, you, you realize that Jesus has already been working in, in this city of Bethany. Like th- there's some things that have happened. First off is, and you find later in the story, that there's a gathering at this house the person known as Simon the leper. Well, Simon the leper has actually been healed because people wouldn't be gathering in that house. So this house is now clean. 
Simon is clean. Simon is healed. He's healed by Jesus. Leprosy is a terribly infectious skin disease that is contagious. And if you go near, you get it. And so the idea to be a, a leper with somebody, you were ostracized for protection of everyone around you. So Jesus had performed this miracle. He, he's healed and everyone is hanging out there. Bethany's also the city in which Jesus' closest friend, Lazarus, was raised from the dead. The reason I say this is what's happening is, is in this region, people know what Jesus has done. They, they see that he has great power. People have been healed. Lives have been changed. And there's a sense in which when Jesus is around, something is going to happen. As you could imagine, Jesus is reclining at the table and everyone is sitting like, dude, what's going to happen next? Just waiting for him to perform, waiting for him to do something. And maybe people are thinking like, I wonder if he could help me with my, my kid. He just doesn't listen to me. I wonder if, man, we're kind of running out of food. I wonder if he could like just make this buffet appear in our homes. Like, I don't, I just made all that up. But those are the things that I would be wondering, like, what could Jesus do? And so you can imagine he's reclining at the table and they're just like, what's he going to do? He's got a special thing. But what you, what you find out is like, as everyone's watching, somebody actually took an action and it's a woman. And this woman comes and breaks open this alabaster jar of perfume and there should be a picture up here of the alabaster jar. So this expensive oil and perfume was, was contained in here. And you could see there's this narrow opening. The reason it's narrow is this was so expensive that you just wanted one drop at a time to come out. You know, you didn't want to, you didn't want to waste any of it. It was the good stuff. So you would just barely pour it for whatever you were going to use it for and just allow the sweet aroma to fill the room. Well, she comes in and recognizes Jesus for who he is. He is the son of God come to save the world. She's heard of his greatness and she's seen it up close. And instead of just stinging it, you know, little drop, she decides to break open the whole bottle. This represents this devotion and sacrifice that that she makes. The reason I bring this up, this is a, a different approach to a life of following Christ. You see, everyone else was just waiting and watching. What is Jesus going to do? She decides to take initiative. I've already seen him do. I've already seen him act. I've already seen him with his power. I believe who he says he is, and I'm going to treat him like royalty. How many of you watched the royal wedding yesterday? Anybody? That kind of hurts, guys. Like, my mom's British, okay? That, I thought my influence over you over time would... There's like four of you. YouTube counts and we're going to stream it right after I'm done right here. (laughs) So no one watched it. I'm going to move on. There was, yeah, I, I noted, I know you guys, you're on the good list. Okay. Um, Royal wedding. I mean, all the pomp and circumstance you're seeing in the world, except for church in Valley Alhambra, people are really, really into it in, in this time. There were some that, that were, you know, is he, is he the king? Is he really the son of God? I mean, we're not just talking about royalty on earth, but the son of God, the king of the world. And what this woman represents is, I believe it. And I'm willing to break open the most expensive perfume I could get. Nard, which is kind of a humorous word, is, is this perfume imported from India, the value of which is like a year's worth of salary. She just gave it all to Jesus as this gift. 
Now, some are waiting and watching and, and feeling like, woman, you're, you're cramping our style. Like we're waiting for Jesus to act. But what, what are you doing? And, and this is how they respond in verse 4. You could show that up there. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Remember the hearts we all have, that we all have to deal with selfishness, arrogance, and damage. They're waiting for Jesus to act. What can you do for us, Jesus? And she takes initiative and sacrifices for him. And they're talking about, can you believe her? She just wasted all that money. What could we do with all that money? What's interesting is probably in that conversation was Judas, the very one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So you could see them just respond with this stone cold heart. What is she thinking? How could she waste this when it could be used for, for so much more? So they rebuke her. They condemn her in, in front of, of everybody. And then the story continues. Jesus steps in. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Okay, right there, you're knowing, uh-oh. We wanted Jesus to do something, but now I'm a little nervous. Leave her alone, he says. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And so Jesus decides they are indignantly responding, rebuking her. And he decides that I, I'm going to praise her. So now the king who she sacrificed for is, is drawing attention to how noble she is. They respond with this cold heart and she responds with this idea of I'm, I'm willing to give everything. And what it represents is really the symbolism of her life. I'm willing to sacrifice to be broken and poured out for you. I believe you are who you say you are. And it's this gift of sacrifice to royalty. And then Jesus goes on and says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I love this scripture because it's actually what's happening. We're talking about this woman and her sacrifice here today, just as Jesus said we would. And she gave it all to him, all that she had, a sacrifice to him. And note, Jesus points to the wrapping up his life. And he had been talking to his disciples about what's going to happen. And they, they failed to get, they failed to kind of see the opportunity. And, and in the moment, this woman steps in and in all the busyness and all the things that draw attention, she's like, I, I, need to, I need to give all that I have to Jesus. I need to sacrifice Jesus says, she's, she's preparing me for my burial. He's again pointing to this death that he's going to endure. So I want to fast forward a few days after this. Now Jesus is in Jerusalem and he has the last meal with his disciples. And this is the basis for what we call the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate here at Church in the Valley, or communion. It's this, this idea of breaking the bread and, and drinking the juice or the wine to remember the Lord's sacrifice. And this is what Jesus says a little bit later, the following verses in verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, 
he said to them. So I could imagine, again, this is happening in the last few days, and they just had this experience in Bethany with this woman who had broken the oils and poured it out. And then Jesus, a few days later, before he's going to give up his life for us, points to the fact that he himself will be broken his body and he'll be poured out his blood for us. You can imagine the disciples, wait, like, wait a second. This is just like the picture of the woman of what she did. And now Jesus is tying this to himself. This is the way. So what you see is this, this picture of, of brokenness. One, Jesus commended it because of what the woman did. Like This is what pleases God. And the second is Jesus' example himself. This is the way. It's the way of sacrifice. And sac- the sacrifice of Jesus, he held nothing back for us. He was broken for us. He was poured out for us. And so when we pray, God, break me, we're saying, God, break me of the things that I rely on instead of you. Break me of the ideas, break me of the actions, break me of the philosophies, break me of the addictions, anything that causes me to rely on things instead of you. And Jesus held nothing back and because of his sacrifice and the fact that he was broken and poured out. We can pray for God to break us and we know that we will not be crushed. God will actually take care of us. We know it because he sacrificed for us. He made a way that even when we're broken, in our brokenness, we can actually be filled. As self-reliance empties, we're filled with his presence. And we can do his will. And so I want to kind of connect the dots. So this is the example. Why brokenness? We see the example of the woman in Bethany. And we see the example of Jesus himself. But here's the reality. If you and I have the courage to pray, God, break me. He can actually use us. And I really believe that. Because if Jesus shows the way of sacrifice, then what he's saying is, is when you're broken and poured out for God and his purposes, he will do things through you that he will not do if you're full of yourself. If selfishness, arrogance, and damage is driving you, God's power will be limited in your life. And this is true for every single one of us. And it's true in in my own life. When I was 16 years old, I sensed God calling me to the ministry, like to become a pastor. And some of you heard this story. I kind of had my own plans where I was going to be in a band. And that was kind of my like goal. I was 16. It was like the best goal ever. I'll be in a band. See how it works out. Go on tour. You know, as you can tell. It didn't work out. <laughs> God got a hold of my life. And it was like, I, I want you to, to serve me. And I sense God saying, like, I want you to, to, to be a pastor. And so at 16, I, I, I surrendered. And I said, okay, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And what was so interesting is the, the, the biggest point of clarity in my life, God speaking, like, wherever you go, whatever you do, Alex, I want you to serve me. That's what I sense God tell me. And I was like, God, whatever you want. So I had the most clarity of God's leading me forward. And at the very exact time, like a few months later, I actually ended up rebelling against God. It was a sense of like, God says, like, I want you to serve me in this way. And I said, sure, I, like, I'll do that. But, but let me, let me get a little bit for myself. And what, what ended up happening was about an 18 month period 
where I really was playing games with God. I, I turned my back on God. I was a hypocrite. You know, as people think about Christians, as those kinds of people that say one thing and do another, like that was me. Like I was that Christian. And I hurt people. And I lied to people. And I rebelled against God. And I just, I was on a path of, of dis- destruction. What was happening is I, I was filled with selfishness. I was filled with arrogance. And at the end of the day, if I could get what I wanted and I needed to hurt somebody, like I was willing to do that. So when I talk about the heart, I don't talk about it hypothetically. I talk about it because I know myself. And I think you guys do too. We know what we're capable of. And so at about 18 months, I got to this point where I realized, man, I, I am living it a fake life, an empty life, and a life that, that actually I'm embarrassed of. In my freshman year of college, I sensed God, God kind of speak to me again. And, and he said, you know, Alex, if you continue in this way, the emptiness that you feel, this will be your life for the rest of your life. And I began to just kind of look at the fact that I, I, was, I had this heart of stone towards God towards those around me. I could say what I wanted people to hear, but in my heart, I was doing whatever I wanted to do. What God did in this period of time, he brought me to a a psalm that I want to share with you today, and it's a psalm of David from Psalm 51. And this psalm, God used repeatedly in my life to get my attention. And I want to share it with you because it's a picture and a prayer of of when we get to the point where we we pray God to, to break us. And for me, this was a real time in my life because I, I was full of myself to get what I wanted. And at the same time, I had nothing that I wanted. And I find that when we're full of ourselves, this is what happens. And we live in a time where to actually talk about the truth and to talk about the freedom that God gives, everyone just can do whatever they want. The fact is, everyone can do whatever they want, but they also experience the emptiness. So we have to talk about this in a real way. And this psalm in Psalm 51 is a psalm of David after he had been basically found out by the prophet Nathan for a sin that he had committed, adultery and murder. And he was the king and he had absolute power to get whatever he wanted. And he had done it to exploit a woman, to kill a man, and ultimately to serve himself. So Nathan rebukes him and says, this is you. You need to repent of your sin. And the judgment of God is going to come upon you. In the beginning of Psalm, he, he, he cries out to God, like, God, create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, and renew a right spirit, like I am not right. And then later in the Psalm, he, he says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. He's talking to God. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. I think what he's representing here is, one, the sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, whereas if you sinned, you, you needed to make a sacrifice, like a pure sacrifice that would pay for your sin. There's a payment. There's a debt to sin. And it's the same today. There's a debt to our sin. But there's also, I think, a part of this in which he's saying, like, I, I'll do whatever I need to do to make you happy. But I think some of the time we, we kind of have this approach to God, like, God, I'll do whatever you need, you know, I need to do so you don't bother me. Like in, in essence, like how can I pay God off so he'll back off or, or leave me alone? Like I'll do whatever you want so I can keep doing what I want. 
And David's representing that that can show up in just these outward sacrifice, things that we're going to say we're going to do to God, but inside our heart is still hard. It's still stony. And then he he says it's it's not a sacrifice, but it's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise this. This not despise is like God is pleased with this. The way of brokenness is the way of pleasing God. And you know how many times that I read this, and I realized like this is what God is calling me to. It's this sense of God, I cannot be filled with myself and my own selfish desires and my arrogance and expect to please you. And God just kept bringing me back to the psalm and bringing me back to the psalm. And there are so many days and late nights and early mornings where I was just, I'd pray this to God, like, God, just break me of my rebellion. Break me of my selfishness. Break me of my arrogance. And over time, through the scriptures and over time through the help of older and wiser people, this, this began to happen in my heart of stone. began to find cracks begin to break away. And God began to, to work in me again because I was willing, I was willing to pray this prayer. And a broken and contrite heart, really here, it's, it's an attitude and a state of surrender, of dependence, of humility. We, we approach God and it's, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? And we're willing to do it. That's the prayer of, of brokenness. So I want to close by kind of getting to the heart of what this means for us. Because if, if you were to pray, God, break me, uh, if you were to ask God, you know, speaking of prayer, if you were to ask God, God, is there anything in my life that you want to break me of? What would it be? I want you to take 30 seconds. Just, just think of that. You don't, If you don't pray towards God, you don't have to do that unless you want to. You don't have to do that a lot. But I I just want you to think, if God were to point, he knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. If he were to point to something that you think he would want to break you of, what do you think it would be? Just think about that. Some of you straight away, you know. There might be some of you who are like, I, I, I don't know. So I'm just going to go through some things that we tend to kind of wrap around our heart. And over time, the stone forms. So here's some things. Um, hidden sin. There's, there's things in our life that we do that we don't want anyone to know. Because we don't want anyone to know. We hide from people, we deceive people, we lie to people, and we also think we're doing that to God. What happens over time is because we're, we're hiding, um, the, the stone is we're, we're not real. And in our, our fakeness towards God and towards others, our heart is hard. And so the first, the first kind of prayer is God break us of addictions. There might be some addictions that, that we have that we need God to break us from. The hidden things. 
They may not be hidden, but just things that we are trusting in more than God himself. And that could look differently for, for different people. Uh, I've spoken kind of of the, the, the sad heart that we have and, and arrogance. Uh, we need to ask God to break us from pride. And pride is really the sense of we, we know the best in a situation and we operate out of that. Like we, we just know best. But there, there's also a pride of kind of self-reliant. Not, not only do, do we know best, but we don't want to even ask for input because, again, we know best. So part of pride is maybe an outward or an inward, I've got this, but it's also connected to this isolation. I don't need anyone to help me. And that might be the case in relationship that you have where you, you need help to move forward, but because of pride, you're, you're not asking for help from God or from other people. And so you just need to pray, God, break me from pride. Uh, the second is God, or the third, sorry, God, break us from control. And this might be you if you operate, everything goes well if everyone does what you want them to do. And you may be controlling people in your life. When it comes down to it, you want them to say and do what you want them to do, whether it's stated or not. And you just you just get all twisted up inside when people don't do what you want. And this could be husband to wife, wife to husband, to your kids, to coworkers, to your boss. Just, you just want to ratchet everybody down to fit your agenda. Your prayer just, God, break us, break me from control. Now, there may be some of you who are just feeling the weight of your life's decisions. Like you just look back and you have a lot of regret. Your prayer is, God, break us, break me of discouragement. Like you just have this weight of these thoughts that you're not good enough. And you have thoughts like, how could you do that again? How could you continue after you keep doing wrong and wrong and wrong? And you just have this weight of guilt and shame and regret upon you. You just need to God break me from discouragement. And the last, but really the encompassing one is this, God break me, break us from independence. This is we want to do life our own way apart from God. And because of that, our hearts are hard because we, we don't need him. And what happens over time is we're filled with self-reliance and independence. When God tells us to do something, we're not willing to do it. When God tells us to go, we're not willing to go. When he tells us to say, we're not willing. When he tells us to change, we don't want to because we're independent from him. So you just need to pray, God, break me from this independence. So I want you to do right now as I wrap up, pull out your connection card that Ben had you fill out. And if you haven't finished filling that out, go ahead and do that right now. And I I encourage you to actually take a next step based on what you could pray God to break you of. And the first next step is this. It's connected to the breaking of independence. If you've never become a Christian, and a Christian is somebody who at a point in time, decides and makes a decision to no longer go their own way. It's this breaking of independence. And so if you've never done that before and you've never decided like, I'm going to allow Jesus to lead my life 
and I'm willing to, to follow him. That, that's what it means to become a Christian. You're willing to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. He becomes boss. If you've never told that to God and never decided to do that, we would love to help you break from independence from him and turn and go his way. And so if you check that box, we'll follow up with you and explain and walk you through what that means. And the second next step is for you, and this is only for you, break me from and put it down. Now, if you don't want anyone to know, don't put it on your connection card. So when I say it's only for you, if it is on there, we will know. (laughs) So if you don't want anyone to know, write on your handout and keep that with you or just keep it in your mind. But if you do write on the connection card, I, I will pray for you this week. And I'm not going to follow up like, hey, how that, how's that going? But I, I will pray for you. So dangerous prayer. God, break me from and, and ask him to do that. So I encourage you, wrestle with this and pray this this next week. Let's close together and pray as the, the band comes up. We're going to be receiving our offering. You can drop that completed connection card in there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of scripture where we can learn how to pray in a way that pleases you and aligns with you. God, we are so full of ourselves that sometimes we we don't even realize it. So God, we, we ask that you will begin to crack our hard hearts and that our, our hearts of stone will be replaced with a, a heart of flesh that's beating and living and alive to please you. God, I, I pray for all of us in here that are dependent on things outside of you. And God, I ask that as we pray this, we will hear you speak to us. So we thank you that you lead us, you guide us, and that you give us the free will to choose whether to follow you. God, we surrender to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Alex. When the sea is calm and all is right, when I've